Well, he almost got real nice there, and I'm a crier. So good job just reining it in at the end, because you know I've already wept this morning. First of all, worship team, where are you people? You guys, what a gift you have here in the middle of your weekday to have that moment. Thank you for the time you spend. I know it's a lot. And what about your worship, I mean, your leadership team? I mean, honestly, I don't mean to um, bother you with these ridiculous accolades, but I love being on your campus. I, I just feel like the presence of the Holy Spirit is rich here, which is so fun. That's not really what I felt on my college campus. There was a presence, but it wasn't that. So super excited for you guys. Um, I'm so excited to be back in the motherland. I, my, my family is from Northwest Iowa. I speak almond patty. In fact, my mom was the tulip queen in Orange City in 1969. <laughs> I can go home. You understand the gravity of that. When I say that in Des Moines, people are like, what is it, really? Um, so thank you for ooing and aahing. I will tell Patty that you felt that way about her. When I was growing up, I was part of a group at our, at our church called Missionettes. Any Missionettes by chance here? Okay, there's a secret handshake. <gasps> we have one! <gasps> I'm going to out everything, so just buckle in. Okay, it was a ki- Missionettes was kind of a Girl Scouts, only lame. So it was like a Jesus Girl Scout. So we had really brief campfires um, that really involved him singing. And then we would have, we did have uniforms, but the, and they were polyester, and there were sashes, but they were dresses, and so, and really itchy, and had like Peter Pan collars. And so, they were completely impractical for any of the fun things that real Girl Scouts did, like, you know, starting fire with flint, or, you know, rescuing puppies, or having a bake sale, or whatever. We did not have time for bake sales, because we were busy trying to be stars. That was the pinnacle become a star. And we had to check a lot of tiny little boxes on our way there. Each of us got this really thick blue binder, and there were many, many little boxes in the binder. Some of them had to do with like service projects or crafts, failed all of those. But most of them had to do with either reading or memorizing scripture. One box at a time, the star would work her way through the curriculum until she was crowned with an actual crown in a ceremony involving a white dress and a blue satin cape. I think I have a photo. Oh, and I just want you to know, I'm in charge of this today, and I'm full-on boomer, so just tell me if it's not working. Let's go this way. Nope. Nope. Is it on? (gasps) There it is! I am... (laughs) I'm the girl in the middle. It looks like I've been taking a sedative, but I think it's just... (laughs) I was just enjoying the worship of the moment. Um, I don't really talk about this very much, particularly if I'm with people who um, are not involved in a church, because every time people will stop and say something like, so you were in a cult? <laughs> I say, no. And then the follow-up is, well, were there candles when you got your cape? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I learned so many great things from the missionettes. I really did in the years trying to get my crown. I mean, there are worse ways for a girl to spend her time 
in the 80s than on, you know, sitting on her waterbed, absolutely had a waterbed, reading the Bible and memorizing it. God tells me in that very book that all time spent with him, all time in his word is never wasted, right? It never returns void. So that is my disclaimer. Even when that time is in Leviticus. Um, I don't know if you've spent a lot of time in Leviticus lately, just as an aside, but I'm a writer, and I'm just going to say the plot does drag in a few places. <laughs> you know, I mean, I understand the need for oil and, and doves and carcass management, but there just could be some section breaks. I'm just saying that there's, there's room. Anyway, I learned a lot from missionettes, but the thing that stuck was the tiny little boxes. Somewhere along the way, I started to believe that my approach to God and the time I spent with him, the way I served him, the way I related to him, all had to do with a lot of tiny little boxes that I would check one by one. The problem with this theory is that it's wrong. Not just like harmlessly, innocently wrong, but dead harmfully wrong. All signs in scripture, even signs in Leviticus, point to the idea that God is a God of grace. Grace, as in God's unmerited favor to a wretch like me. Grace, as in his undeserved presence all over my life. Grace, as in unearned, no box checked, unfettered freedom in his name. I love how John Stott talks about grace. He says that grace is a love that cares, boomer, cares and stoops and rescues. Isn't that beautiful? Love that cares and stoops and rescues. God is our rescuer. And one of the best things he rescues me from is the frantic, relentless checking of tiny little boxes. He gives ridiculous, beautiful, perfect gifts, and he gives them with not one string attached. He is not the God who keeps asking to check our papers. Do you remember papers? Handing papers for your teacher to check. I have a freshman in college right now, too. I don't think she has any papers. Everything is completely electronic. Also, I want to say, sometimes her professors have her hand things in on Saturday and Sunday. Do they do that here? I feel that is unfair. That's the only thing I've found so far that I don't like about Dort. Okay. <laughs> so remember handing in papers for your teacher to check? Oh, my goodness. I loved that system. I am a firstborn girl, and I can crush a worksheet. It was totally my jam. There were two firstborn girls over there like, give me a worksheet. I was so good at it. My brother, however, took a very different approach. He, um, I have photos of him. The first photo here is to prove that he did grow up to be responsible. He has a job. Everything worked out great, because in case he ever sees this particular talk, I want that to be first. However, this is how he was in the 80s. <laughs> did everybody else have like a scratchy sweater time in your life? Did your moms all make you wear scratchy sweaters for photos? Oh, your moms were nicer than mine. Oh, you did have a bad mom. Well, <laughs> and what about this hair? How did she, what <laughs> happened? <laughs> that was a good decision. Okay, so that's fake Ryan. This is really how Ryan was all the time growing up, just feisty and ornery. And so when we would get into the car after school, we had different approaches to life. I would get in the car, open the, the um, off-white minivan with the paneled siding, yeah, and get in, sit down, and regale my mother with all of my really great stories. And then Ryan would come, like, tumbling out of school. He was always sweaty. 
like coming from math class, he was sweaty. I didn't understand how it worked. His shirt would be out, and he had like an orb of hair. He had like food product always down his front. And he would do the slider door and come in and slam it shut, and he would hand my mom just the sheath of papers, whatever it was for the day. And one time, on the very top, there was red everywhere. Everything was checked wrong, all sorts of check marks. And I had instant hives. I didn't know that was possible, <laughs> that that could happen to some, someone. And so I'm like having a moment in the passenger seat, and you know, my brother's licking ketchup off of his shirt. <laughs> and my mom says, Ryan, what happened? Tulip Queen. What happened? What happened to you? What, do you understand this? And he kind of looks up, squints up to the front seat, and he says, oh, Mom, don't worry about it. We get all new ones tomorrow. <laughs> totally worked for him. He out-earns me by a lot, by the way. Totally landed on his feet. And don't tell him, but I think actually Ryan had it right. I think he was glimpsing grace. We get all new ones tomorrow. God is not the red pen, God. Paul writes so beautifully that we get to approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Confident grace, not flimsy grace, not temperamental grace, not red checkmark grace. Stubborn, mystery rich, can't wrap my head around it. Deep reservoir, nonsensical grace. I've always struggled with the nonsensical part. I'm really not into things that don't make sense. I really like information. I like control. Um, I get a strange pleasure out of opening a new daily planner. I smell the paper. <laughs> Life really cooperates with that MO, though, and the way I fell in love with my husband is a really good example of that. This is um, us when we were very early married. So many hair shifts in that way. Mine and also his does not look like that anymore. He is a phenomenal guy, but I'm just going to tell you, this almost did not happen. We were best friends in college. Hung out together all the time. We went to a school south of the Twin Cities. We would go up into the Twin Cities to hear jazz and go to the Guthrie and have so many wonderful adventures. But I was not into him romantically speaking. And the reason is he owned a Tigger sweatshirt. <laughs> and he would wear it. Not ironically, he purchased it at the Disney store because he likes Tigger. He likes cheerfulness and an upbeat attitude. And I was more into like, you know, Sylvia Plath and depression and dark eyeliner and like music that would make me feel things deeply. Tigger was not going to work out. So really great guy, loved Mark, but not in the loving way. So one time he went up to the Twin Cities, came back down to campus. We were, it was a day just like today. And we were sitting outside of his dorm. I had driven. I was in the, I was in the driver's seat of my car. I'm sitting. The rain is pelting the windows. Perfect Sylvia Plath moment. Super down. So beautiful and moody. And I say, Mark, what are you thinking about right now? Totally something I would ask at that time. And uh, Tigger says, well, um, I'm thinking about what you would think if I kissed you right now. And I said, oh, yeah, no, let's not do that. <laughs> not a great plan. And so 
<laughs> he immediately had homework and was like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to talk to you later. I'm just going to go and see you later. So he shuts the door. I remember letting my head drop on the steering wheel and being like, great. Perfectly good friendship over. There's no way we can recover from this, right? It's way too awkward. Even Tigger can't get over something like this. It's going to be weird every time we see each other now. It's ugh, I'm never going to go to the Twin Cities again. I'm so bummed. The next day, I go to the CAF, our dining hall. I walk in, and across the way, I see Mark. And his eyes light up, and he waves me over and says, Come over. I have a spot for you. And I'm just going to tell you, I think that day was the day that I started to fall in love with him. Because I thought, wait a minute. He's not waiting for me to do anything for him. He just wants me exactly where I am and is willing to do that. Smart move, by the way. Now we are totally married and have babies. It worked out great. <laughs> so here's the thing. Grace is like that. Grace does not hurry me up. It doesn't want me to push along or clean up or get my act together. It is enough now, today, and God has enough for you. Even if you are depleted or you're tired or you're anxious, even if you're depressed or worn down or you feel like you just should be farther down the stretch of road than you are, grace comes right to me, right to you, right where you stand. It moves toward the prickly, it moves toward the fickle and the wary. It meets your eye from across the room and says, get on over here. I've saved a spot just for you. Oh, this feels so good, to, right, doesn't it? To think of God as a God of grace. It is good. It's the best news of the very best news. The problem is Karen. This is my new magnet that I put up in my home when people are being difficult. Um, <laughs> all the time. Do we have any Karens here, by the way? We have a Karen. Raise your hand. I just want to say, I'm sorry, this is a hard time to be a Karen. Your parents could not have known. They did their best by you. And also, I'm sure you're the exception, because that's what all Karens think, but I bet you really are. <laughs> the problem with grace is the Karens in our lives, right? Not you particularly. Um, the difficult people. Don't make eye contact because you might be sitting by one of them. These difficult people are the ones that mess everything up. We see this play out, right, all the time in the broader context of our culture right now. What's the best way to describe this cultural moment? Is it drenched with grace towards difficult people? Is it cloaked in the kind of love that is nonsensical and deep and stubborn and full of the grace of God? Is our culture just brimming with a love that cares and stoops and rescues? When I look at the news and when I hear the shouting on social media and listen to the division and the rancor and the chaos unfolding on the daily, it just does not feel like grace is our cultural norm. It feels like we've forgotten about grace. It feels like we're stuck. When I was in high school, my parents took us to Europe for a, a vacation, and that sounds real bougie, and I'm just going to tell you right now, that's not what it was. Uh, we ate in truck stops because my dad could not believe how expensive everything was once we got there, so I just had ham and cheese sandwiches for a full week. Um, it was not a, it was, if you've seen the old, like, uh, Chevy Chase movies with Clark Griswold, that is my dad. We got stuck, you know, that, like, the Arc de Triomphe where they have the, 
roundabout. That was our family. Couldn't get off. Couldn't get off. Just kept running. Over, over. My mom was screaming, Randy, get off the road. I can't. So one thing that made this trip even less enjoyable was that our rental car, we could not figure out how to get it into reverse. So it's problematic when you're driving. And so our our way of circumventing this problem was that when we had to reverse the car, my dad would say, Ryan! And he would throw open the door, get out of the car, go to the front of the car, and push us in neutral into oncoming traffic. And then my dad would scream, go, 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 go! And he would run back around and get into the car, and then we were off. That's how we did Europe. Um, We did actually find out how to actually put the car into reverse on the way back to the airport when we were about to take off. So it did work in the last 10 minutes. I have felt more than one time in the last year and a half that I am stuck, that we are stuck, that the church is stuck, stuck in patterns of bitterness and sin and pushing people far from God instead of asking us just to bring the whole mess to him. I have felt stuck, but that is a pile of hooey. We are not stuck. We have everything we need. We have what John wrote about in his gospel as grace upon grace. We can reverse course one bit at a time. The question is how not to wait till the last day of the trip. Here's how we reverse course. We take a breather and really look at what's really in front of us. I spent some time recently with my friend Maria. Maria grew up not knowing anything about Jesus and the grace he offers. She was, her mom died in childbirth, and her dad medicated that pain for the rest of his life with alcohol. He didn't know what to do with a young girl, and so he sent her off to a boarding school where, it was a religious boarding school in upstate New York, and she was taught about God during the day and then abused by those same people at night. So her concept of what Jesus was and what God was, I'm sure you can imagine, was quite um, broken and harmful. So Maria grew up. She became very wealthy and successful and was living a very fast life in Manhattan. Um, And she told me, I had all the trinkets, but man, I felt totally empty. She felt her spirit was just vacant and thirsty, but her heart was very hard. So this hippie, actually, like an actual hippie, um, shared the gospel with her friends, her addict friends. Um, Did I say she was an addict, too? She had turned to to addiction as well. And so her buddies encountered this hippie who was on the streets preaching the gospel, and they had this miraculous upturning of their lives and turning over to Jesus, and they started to pray for Maria. And Maria had the same thing, so much so that she and her husband ended up Um, pastoring a church in Queens, New York for 40 years. So the addict became a warrior, which is just a beautiful thing that God does. When I asked her, well, what was the church, what did the church do? You know, what was, how did they come alongside you? And she said, oh, actually, um, the hippie would preach to us, but this is when we were strung out on the sidewalks in Manhattan. And the church people would step over us on their way to Sunday service. Ah, we can do better. We can do better than that, right? As the people who know Jesus, we have to rise up and call that junk out for what it is. And I'm not just talking about reaching addicts. I'm not just talking about 
extending grace to people who wear their need for it on their sleeves. I'm talking about the weary, the broken, the anxious, the defeated, defeated and the deflated, the spiritually hungry and the religiously repelled. I'm talking about, outside, about bodies outside of this chapel and about the bodies within. Paul wrote beautiful words about grace. He said that the grace of God is sufficient for us. 1 Corinthians 12. Isn't that just perfect news? In a culture that's built on the idea of scarcity and of wanting, the idea that we just won't ever have enough, God says that's actually not the gig. He says his grace is fully enough. We don't need a 12-point program. We don't need the perfect degree plan, the perfect internship. We don't need the right family, the right connections, the right personality. We need God's grace in spades. It is enough. I'm happy to say that God's grace is not 80s hair. I lived in the 80s, and I had a process of how I would get that to look that good. <laughs> it involved a lot of zhuzhing and product and dippity-doo, and I'm so happy to tell you that God's grace is nothing like that. You don't have to tweak it one bit. You don't have to zhuzh it up or fluff it or make it more presentable or make, you know, hope it makes it through PE. The grace that God gives you is complete. You have nothing that you need to add to it. Hallelujah for that. We do not have to add or subtract. We have this grace that's totally sufficient, totally enough, and made perfect in our own inadequacy. Before I close, I just want to tell you about a woman I knew who wore grace like it was a part of her. This is my grandma. She grew up not too far from here. Isn't she just lovely? Um, she grew up on a farm not too far outside of, where's the AOK Cafe outside of Orange City? Alton? The Alton? Yeah, she grew up on a farm outside Alton, um, which was actually leveled by a tornado. It's no longer there. It leveled when she was 19. She met Jesus when she was about 50. And she was feisty and smart and strong, and she was um, a gift to me. She taught me all sorts of things about loving Jesus just exactly in the lane where I live, even when um, that lane felt a little prickly. And um, a couple years ago, she, um, well, first she went to this, well, I have 8,000 cousins. This was at one of their grads, grad parties. It was about three weeks before she died. She was nine, 96. And I had the distinct honor of walking the last few steps with her home. Um, my mom was there as well. And whenever my mom would leave the room, my grandma was like, haul out all the hard questions. I'm not sure what was going on there, but one time she held my hands as soon as my mom went, and she said, Kimmy, am I dying? And I did what she taught me to do, right, to tell the truth, and so I looked at her and said, Grandma, I think you are. And she said, oh, I've almost finished my race. A few hours later, she started to kind of be a little bit um, muddled, and she would loop on the same sentences over and over. Um, I didn't know before this that dying can be really hard work. That's not what they show on Little House. I thought it was like you just release and then you're done, and sometimes it just doesn't work that way because we aren't built for it. 
that was in our original design to let go of this. So she um, would loop on these sentences. Sorry, this is why I have the napkins. And um, one of the loops, you know what she got stuck on after so many years walking with Jesus? Some people can cry beautifully, and I always cry like a cat. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. She looped on, thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. She'd say it over and over, thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. That's how you finish your race all of the other stuff, and she had plenty of other stuff. Her dad was an alcoholic, and I didn't find it out for years. She just protected that memory. She had all sorts of things. But you know what rose to the top? Thank you, God, for your grace. That is the race I want to run. I want that to be the loop. I want that to be what remains when everything else is muddy. Frederick Buechner said, the grace of God means something like this. Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. The party wouldn't have been complete without you, all you box checkers. The party isn't complete without you, all you loud social media posters. The party isn't complete without you, all you people who know about the God of light that he has no darkness in him, and yet you keep him all to yourself, stepping over bodies on the way to church. The party isn't complete without you, me, broken, beautiful, messy Jesus follower who's hungry to reverse course and needs the grace to do it. You're in the right spot. We are in the right spot. There's room at the table, there's grace sufficient, and there is a love that cares and stoops and rescues. Let us take hold of it. Amen and Godspeed to you all.